Amen. Good morning. Morning, church. Good to see you. Welcome. We're testing now. We're good. We're live. Welcome. Happy Easter. He is risen. A resounding chorus. Welcome to all who are tuning in with us online, connecting today. Welcome friends, family, and neighbors. And again, thank you to our surrounding neighbors who get to join us by proximity today, at least on this Easter Sunday. Thank you to everyone who brought color. That was our theme coming up through March and now our first Sunday in April. As it's, been, it's been a long, somewhat drab winter, hasn't it? And we said we need to help spring along. It seems like it's slow in coming, so bring color in all the different ways that you've done so by adding to our, our remembrance garden, our hope garden, through the de- decor here, a nod to the lingering springtime, but I love how we're turning it upside down because summer is coming. We've got our kids who are decorating kites, and I'm thankful that we don't have quite enough wind to fly them today. That's a Haitian tradition where the children make flights, uh, kites out of anything they can make and fly them in celebration. So throughout our world today, celebrating the greatest news of all time, that death has no victory, that life is possible because of what Jesus has done. And that's what we're here to celebrate. Have you guys missed this full team? Have you missed, missed them? Yeah? Thought we'd at least bring them out for today. And there's a, few, there's a little bit of an encore coming as soon as the preacher shuts up. So we're looking forward to that. Let me pray for us and bless our kids as they go to their tents and fly kites and celebrate the love of Jesus. But we invite the same love to ex- be experienced by all here. Father, we thank you that we get to gather in this way, in this time, as we reflect on a year. So many of us gathered only online on Easter and We've come through a year, and the road ahead is, is still long, it seems, but we have, we have hope ultimately in you because of what you have accomplished, because you have offered life and life to the full, because Jesus, you died and rose again. Lord, thank you for coming and, and expressing your love, your deep, deep love for us. May we reciprocate to the best of our ability, which is not enough, so you have to carry us into the greater response. Would you amaze us this morning at who you are, what you've done, and therefore what you've promised can be true for every one of us. Unto your glory, Lord. Thank you for the young and the older, the young at heart, and the renewed life that you are bringing. And we pray that you would be with our children as they go and celebrate your love too. Thank you, Lord, for filling up this place with life and color today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, kids, you're welcome to go to your class. And if any adults would like to fly kites, you are welcome to, in lieu of listening to the word today. As we've, as we've had a common joke uh, throughout this year, we'll have to say that Easter also is intense this year. Okay, just, just starting, just, ch- just testing the, the crowd here today. When was the last time that you were overcome with amazement? I think after the year we've had, we've been overcome with many things, many emotions, many feelings, many experiences, many changes. But maybe we wouldn't put amazement at the top of the list. 
unless we would define that amazement as, I never saw that coming. I totally wasn't prepared for that. I'm speechless. Maybe that kind of amazement. Perhaps the last year that we've had has had the opposite effect, that nothing seems to surprise us or amaze us anymore. We're just kind of numb. Well, it's time to wake up. It's time for new life. It's time to rise from our slumber, to rise from the dead. That's what we celebrate today. Life, not death. Victory, not defeat. Hope, not despair. So God, overcome us with the amazement of who you are and what you've done, of what you are doing, and therefore, the hope we can have in your promises. So happy Easter, Union Hill. Happy Easter, friends and family connecting with us online today. Now, most of you know that I've been preaching from the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. It's also maybe more accurately called a letter or a treatise that was written a long, long time ago to reveal who Jesus truly is. Well, we're all the way into chapter 5 of the gospel of Mark, and we've be we began back in September. So I, I debated whether to jump forward to chapter 16 and the resurrection of Jesus, but something powerful happens in Mark chapter 5, which reminds us of the resurrection life and power of Jesus. So I invite us to look into that story and then look forward to the promises of Jesus' triumph over death. So if you have devices, you can Google Mark 5. You can get to a Bible app and get to Mark chapter 5. There's an incredible account, a very real and raw account of Jesus raising to life again a 12-year-old girl who has died. Jesus himself claims in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That was his question to a sister who had lost her brother. I believe if Jesus asked that same question at the beginning of the day that's recorded in Mark chapter 5, either the answer would have been no, or it would have been silence, as was often the case when Jesus asked profound questions. The way that we answer, the way that everyone who has ever lived answers that question, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? The way we answer that, and even by our own living, proves the way that we answer that is influential to all of our life. What we believe determines what we value. What we value determines how we live and what, what we believe or don't believe about the claims of Jesus will influence everything that we do. Mark chapter 5, 21 and 24, and then 35 through 43 is the story I want us to look at. It's interrupted by another powerful story, and I'll come back to that in subsequent weeks. But if you have a device, you can follow along or you can listen in. What I'm asking you to do is enter into the story. There are bystanders in this story, and maybe that's your place today. Maybe that's how you resonate. You're simply observing. You're simply listening. You feel like a bystander. I think there's some other ways to enter, and it's probably not just one way, but there's a number of ways to enter into this real emotional 
story. Will you listen? There's a parent of a very sick child. There's a friend or family members of someone who's in desperation and they don't know what to do. There are followers of Jesus who are coming to experience more and more of his life. And then, yes, there are bystanders and observers that somehow have found themselves in, in the, an encounter with Jesus. So would you enter in, listen, Mark 5, 21 and following. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. Jump down to verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. There were people weeping and wailing loudly. And when Jesus entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead. She's sleeping. But they laughed at him. He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Did you find yourself in the story? Maybe difficult to enter in. I'm going to try to help us even more. There's five ways. First, Jairus, this ruler of the synagogue. He's a religious man, a leader, strong in character, hopefully integrity. Certainly respected by, by many, considered wise by some, and yet here he is, desperate, fearful. Can't imagine how to go on living without his baby girl. You have to understand that to go to Jesus as a religious Jew in, in that time would have been costly. It may have cost him his reputation, his position even, or his prestige, his respect, because most Jewish leaders were considering this young rabbi as a blasphemer, as one who was opposed to the will of God, who was making claims that were contrary to God's will. They did not fully understand him. So to be considered one of his followers or dependent upon him was a great risk. And yet he's desperate. I think his position, his prestige, his respect meant nothing with his dying baby girl. And if there was potential of her healing in this upstart rabbi with rumors swirling around him that he has power to heal, then he was going to go and invite Jesus to come. Where else would he turn no doubt he had called local physicians and they had no answers either. I think some of us can enter into this story from this father or this parent's perspective. I know I can. When our daughter was five, she's nine now, she was admitted into Children's Hospital with an undiagnosed mass growing 
fairly rapidly in her neck. It went from noticing one day that there's something strange to it completely swollen the next day. For three days, she continued to get sicker, though they put her on general antibiotics and were doing scans, and we really knew she was in trouble. On the third day, when the, the ENT, ear, ear, nose, and throat specialists, were arguing so loud in the hallway with the infectious disease specialists about the course of action, Catherine and I there by, by Ella, tears streaming, realizing they did not know what to do. But any procedure was invasive, invasive medication or invasive surgery, both potentially unhelpful and risky. Catherine went and took a walk. I remember praying and sitting on that cot that day. And I can relate with Jairus. Being unable, feeling like I had faith, but it was weak and ineffective and I was unable to do anything. Being a pastor meant very little in that moment. All of my religious practices and devotions up to that point weren't, weren't what was front of mind. All I could do was come before Jesus and cry out to him. And I believe that God spoke to me in a way similar to what he said to Jairus. He said to Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. Oh, it's just like that, huh? It's just that simple. Will we go to Jesus in times of desperation? Will it require desperation before we go to him? What I believe God spoke to me or impressed upon me, not in an audible way, but in a powerful way as I'm coming to learn to hear the voice of God, the voice of the Spirit in those moments, weak and incomplete to be sure, but was something like, she will be fine. This will be a distant memory. And I remember weeping. And then I had one of the most powerful, tangible experiences, spiritual experiences of my life, sitting there on that cot in her room. I felt warmth proceed from the back of my hand, up my arm, into my chest, my neck, and my head. Perhaps you could explain it away, some kind of tingling sensation. Some, you, maybe some of you have had that experience. But what I knew it was the Spirit of God. Ella had had to get IVs in the back of her hand, and it was a very, very difficult and painful process for her, and they had to replace them many times. And that's where the warmth started. And I wasn't asking for any connection. I believe the Spirit was speaking, and now I know He was. In that moment when Catherine came back from, from her walk, I, I, I tried to share, I wanted to share, but then I held back because then I looked down at my daughter, I believe on her deathbed, and did not believe, did not believe, doubted, questioned what I had just experienced, couldn't proclaim it. It's not that easy, is it? Don't be afraid, only believe. Will we go to Jesus in times of desperation? Will it require desperation before we go to him? Will we believe and not fear at his promise of life? Yes, some of us can easily enter into this story from the perspective of this father, Jairus. For others, number two, members of Jairus' household, while he was with Jesus on their way and I could preach this other angle. Jesus gets interrupted and stops and ministers to another sick woman. And if I'm Jairus, I'm going, come on. There's no time. But the crowds were pressing around him and it was slow. So finally, some members from his household, these might have been friends or family that had come and rallied around the home with this dying girl. They may have been servants, but they were likely close, a part of his household. And they, they gave Jairus the worst news any father could receive. 
Your daughter has died. You were not there. It's too late. These friends or family or servants, they weren't in personal desperation, but yet they deeply cared for another. And some of us can enter into that place. We have loved ones and friends that are in the midst of crisis, pain, loss, and desperation. We ourselves aren't, but our our empathy is great, and yet we don't don't know what we can do. We struggle for how to help. Notice that what those friends said next was not, so come more quickly, Jesus, come now. They said, it's too late. Don't trouble Jesus. Leave him be. Leave us be to grieve. I think we can struggle to know what to do and what to say, and I think many of us, though we may not want to relate, can easily relate to this. We have lived long enough, prayed hard enough, seen enough pain, suffering, loss, to say, and if not with our mouths, with our heart, God is not showing up in time. Jesus is not coming, not in the way that we need Oh, maybe he can help a little. Maybe he does still help in my life. For others who have deep faith, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them. That's good for them if that's what they need. Maybe we're envious a little bit of that kind of faith, but maybe for many of us, we once had it and no longer. Too many unanswered prayers. Too much pain. The response of our life is, don't, don't trouble Jesus. He's not coming. Or maybe more accurately, Don't trouble yourself with Jesus. Don't open yourself up in that way to some kind of false hope. You're only going to get hurt more. Is this where our faith is? Jesus may offer some help to our lives, but there's a limit. New life, redeemed, restored life, transformed life, life to the full, eternal life? No. Yes, some of us can easily enter into this story through these friends and family. We may not feel desperate, and we may not even be asking, but truly we are desperate for Jesus to overcome us with amazement. Or maybe we can enter in, number three, as these disciples, the three that Jesus allowed, Peter, James, and John. We are trying to follow Jesus. We're we're not these three, and they had given up much, and they had now seen so much They were yet still coming to believe. In Mark chapter 4, they had just gotten off the boat and Jesus had silenced the wind and the waves, this storm that they thought was going to take their ship under and they were going to perish. With a word, he silenced it. And they said to each other in great fear, who is this? They'd been with him, they'd been following him, and they still failed to grasp his authority, his power, who he truly was. And I can see them standing in that room that day when with a word, Jesus says, Talitha kumi, and rises the dead to life again. I can imagine them saying to each other, again, he did it again. Who is this that has the power over death with a word, with a hand reaching into death and bringing to life again? It took years of following Jesus before these disciples would truly come to believe even having been in that room that day, when later Jesus says multiple times, I too will die, but on the third day rise again. They did not believe it. At the time of his crucifixion, they scattered. 
They fled out of their own fear of being associated with him. If that could happen to Jesus, maybe us as his followers. Three days later, they were not awaiting his resurrection like he had promised. And even having been in that room that day, it should have been Peter, James, and John who said, take heart, remember, he has resurrection power. And yet they didn't. It wasn't until later when they truly saw him and met with him that everything clicked, everything changed. They were willing then themselves to lay it all down and to die, no more doubt. Does that journey not give us hope for we who are on a journey or wandering in our faith? That these men who had a front row seat to all of these experiences to Jesus himself still struggled, still doubted. We represent often the doubting Thomas. I think he gets a bad rap because he wanted to believe so desperately and just said, I just need to see Jesus. I need to feel the hands and the scars and I'll believe. And he did. And he represents often what we all say. If I could only touch Jesus and see him, then I would believe. This is John chapter 20. And Jesus responded to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Does that not give us hope too? We all who have not seen. Blessed are we who walk by faith. Be encouraged that that faith is not a progressive upward journey all the time. It's filled with peaks and valleys. We too can resonate and enter into this story through these followers of Jesus. Number four, there are these mourners at the house, these professional mourners. It was actually customary in that day to hire people who would mourn at the loss of a loved one within your home. It was both an announcement, a proclamation to the community, as well as kind of setting the tone for that grief. So these professional mourners would come and they would weep and they would wail outside the home. And that's what was happening when Jesus arose, arrived. And he said to them, why the commotion? She is not dead. She is sleeping. And they immediately went from their, their mourning and their weeping to laughing. Just showing that they are not deeply connected with this loss and this pain. They can laugh at a word that Jesus has said. They are quite accustomed to death after all. It's interesting that they're not that close to the household. Maybe they know of, of the family from the community, maybe not, but they are not touched in an emotional way by this loss. And yet by circumstances, they have found themselves in proximity with Jesus, in proximity to a miracle. And perhaps some of us can enter into the story like this. Without our intention, somehow we've ended up in proximity of the words and the power of Jesus or of those who believe it. And we wonder, maybe sometimes we laugh and scoff at the promises because our experience says something completely different. What these professional mourners knew, without a doubt, was they've never been hired by mistake before. And they found it amusing that Jesus could suggest that it was. Now notice that Jesus did not allow them in. He did not allow them to see, nor the rest of the household, the friends, the family who were gathered, only the few, the parents and Peter, James, and John. Why would he do that when he knew what was the power that would be on display? 
These two would need to believe by faith without seeing. Would they? Or would they more likely say, well, then I guess we were hired by mistake. Maybe this Jesus was right. They made a mistake. She was not dead. She was only sleeping. He revived her. He did not revivify her. That is impossible. There's one more way to enter this story. Have you been looking at the characters and wondering where I'm going? Where's the fifth? It's not Jesus. Though maybe we would like to enter in like him. The one more way to enter this story is the dead. The dead girl. Maybe spiritually at least, perhaps emotionally also. Nothing much moves us anymore. We're not anxious. We're not desperate. We're not mourning. We're not laughing. We're numb. We need Jesus to breathe new life into us. We're not even asking for him to do so. Can he? The story says yes. Will he? He will if we ask. That's his promise. He's that good. And for those that are praying desperately for the spiritually dead in your life, friends, family, loved ones, that Jesus would breathe life into them. First, pray it personally. Jesus, breathe new life into me. Though I ask with little faith or I ask far too infrequently, breathe new life in me. Meet us, Jesus. Overcome us with amazement. Let that be your prayer. Ask him from your heart as we respond. Now, what do all of these characters in the story have in common? They're all from different backgrounds with very different circumstances. They're rich and poor, young and old, religious and secular, powerful and weak, significant and insignificant. And yet all of us, it gives all of us a chance to enter into the story. Every one of them had faith that needed to grow. Every one of them had an encounter with Jesus. They heard his audacious claims and had a decision to make whether they would believe him or not. Ironically or tragically, to turn and walk away, to shake your head and say, I don't believe, takes faith. That too takes faith. I believe we all have the same capacity to believe, to exercise faith. We exercise it in different places, in different ways. Those present there today who would then say, I absolutely believe, I saw it with my own eyes, to the next circle out who says, I don't know, but I, I don't know what to believe anymore, to those that say, I want to believe, to those that say, I simply cannot believe. They are all exercising the same faith, exercising faith in our own understanding, our own perspective, our own reasoning, is where we often default to. Will we wake up and exercise our faith in Jesus? I believe for all of us here, for those watching online, for those listening later, that Jesus is saying to us today the same words that he said to this little girl, arise, arise, do not be afraid, only believe. To some of us, he's saying, wake up, it's time to live again. To some, he's saying, it's time for you to know true life, resurrection life, eternal life. And it begins 
today. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes, though he die, yet he will live. Do you believe this? Let us respond. This is a prayer that I've led us in for weeks and months from the Gospel of Mark. Let's respond with a real, raw, simple prayer from another father that shows up in Mark chapter 9. Another desperate father whose child is in need and comes to Jesus for help. And he says, Jesus, if you can do anything, please help. And Jesus says to him, if I can, if I can, anything is possible for the one who believes. And his response, I would ask, would be our prayer. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. So real, so raw, so powerful. Because what was Jesus' response to that statement? It wasn't, that's not good enough. That's not enough faith. You need more. And then I will act. No, his response is healing. His response is deliverance. Just as it was for Jairus. He did not say to Jairus, though he knew he had full fear and uncertainty. It's not enough, Jairus. Have more faith and believe. He healed. He raised from the dead. He responded with this Little faith expressed, just as I had that little weak faith coming to him at the bedside of my daughter in need. We can take a step of faith toward Jesus. It may be a small one. It may be the best we can do. If we are able to run and leap to him and jump to him, then let's do it. He is worthy. But praise God that following Jesus And being forgiven, experiencing life and life to the full is not dependent on the bigness of our faith, but on the bigness of God's power. If the best we can muster is a crawl on hands and knees, he will meet us and take us the rest of the way. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Be blessed this Easter Sunday. It's time to arise. It's time to be made alive. Let's pray together, and then let's sing some more. Jesus, we want to see you, receive you, and experience your healing and resurrection power to touch you like Thomas, to have you take our hand and raise us up from our coma-like sleep or our spiritual deadness, that our faith might be firm and faultless. And yet, we are overcome with amazement that all that is needed is the smallest of faith, We do not need to see. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. Jesus, amen.